How are you this morning? Awesome. Let's have a word of prayer and we will get going together in this time. Father, right now we come before you expectant. God, we expect you to do something, not because we deserve it or because of any other reason other than who you are and what you do. God, we know that you are alive, you are active and dynamic and at work in this world. And Father, it's our prayer right now, both personally and collectively, that you would be active and alive in our lives. God, that you would speak to each and every one of us right where you know we need you personally, where we need you collectively as a church family. God, I ask that you would speak through me, that you would speak in spite of me and use this time for your purposes. We pray this prayer and every prayer in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. And everybody said, Amen. Life on tap fixes what's broken. Life on tap fixes what's broken. Now, my grandfather graduated high school, did not attend college, and was a mechanical savant. My grandfather was one of these people that could fix anything, anywhere, anytime. Carpentry, electrical, plumbing, engines. It didn't matter the arena. He just had an amazing gear and an amazing ability and aptitude in all of those arenas. And as a result of that, his friends would bring him their lawnmowers, their gasoline-motored engines when they would go awry or something would go wrong and they would break. They would bring them to my grandfather in order to fix them. And my grandfather always had a row of these machines lined up outside of his shop that he was constantly working on. No matter how often we came to visit him, there was always a new lineup of machines outside of his shop that he was working on fixing. Now, my grandfather, for whom I was named, he was Big Mac. I am Little Mac to this day. He passed away many years ago, but I grew up to be about six foot one. Big Mac was five foot six in his Nakona cowboy boots. That was just kind of how we rolled. But when I was born to differentiate us, I became Little Mac and he was Big Mac. Big Mac had a personality. Just He was just kind of like easy come, easy go, just whatever. We're jam up. That's what he would say every day, jam up. My grandmother, on the other hand, my grandmother Mimi was a raw nerve. She was one of these people that was always kind of moving around, and if something came into her mind, it came out of her mouth, and she let people know what she was thinking no matter what. And the row of machines outside of my grandfather's shop was a source of constant irritation for my grandmother, who in turn was a source of constant irritation for my grandfather. She would walk outside, Mac, I don't understand why you should have all these, blah, blah, blah. And she would use a lot colorful, a lot more colorful language than I'm going to use here in church on Sunday morning. But she would say, I don't know why you have all this junk out here. And Big Mac would just look back at her and go. That was it. But you know, I think it's funny when a lawnmower breaks or, or our car breaks, we have no trouble taking it to get fixed, or maybe to even get a new one sometimes. But when something breaks inside of us, when when something about us is broken, we're a lot less likely to go get it fixed. We're a lot less likely to admit that we need 
to have it fixed. And it's against this backdrop that we continue the series Life on Tap. We, we started this just a few weeks ago. The whole series Life on Tap is rooted in a conversation that Jesus had one day at a water well. It's known in biblical circles as Jesus and the woman at the well. And at this particular conversation, Jesus engaged somebody that, according to the social strictures of that day, never, a conversation like this never should have happened. First of all, the woman that Jesus began talking to was a Samaritan woman. And as a Jew, they would never, ever engage in a conversation. Second of all, as a man talking to a woman, that was absolutely unheard of. Even if they had been married, they would not speak in public in the middle of the day. And yet Jesus shattered all of these cultural stereotypes and rules in order to engage the woman at the well. And in this conversation, in this engagement, Jesus introduced this concept that we've kind of adapted and called it life on tap. Because in this conversation, there at the water well where the woman came to draw water, Jesus said the following to her. John chapter 4, verse 14. He said, those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And it's against that backdrop that the woman now has a choice to make. Because when Jesus makes this statement about life on tap, about this living water that will never run out, that will always satisfy completely, she has a choice to make about whether to pursue the conversation or to abandon the conversation. And to her credit, she pursues the conversation. When Jesus talks about this living water, this life on tap, she says, Sir, please give me this water that you're speaking of. I would love to check this out. Water that you'll never be thirsty again, that will satisfy every part of who we are. I would love to know more about this. You know, it was a couple of years ago that a friend of mine who doesn't go to church here yet told me about a restaurant here in Austin. He said, Mac, there's this new place in town that will change your life. He said, it's, it's this place called 24 Diner. It's downtown, and, and they serve chicken and waffles in, in such a way in this diner that will make you slap your mama. It is unbelievable. How many of y'all have ever had chicken and waffles? Let me just see a show of hands if you've tasted this delicacy. Okay, for those of you whose hands are not up right now, you're in our prayers because you have missed out. I know when you hear chicken and waffles, like, whatever, I've been to the diner thing, I've been to Waffle House, whatever. No, you haven't. The first time I went to 24 Diner and tried their chicken and waffles, I, I'm not talking about like, like just chicken, chicken. I'm talking about a big old slab of chicken, deep batter fried, the way God wants chicken eaten. You know what I'm talking about? And I cut off a big, big just chunk of that chicken, stabbed the waffle under the chicken, ran it all through the syrup and put the whole thing in my mouth. And the heavens parted and angels sang. I immediately, upon finishing my meal, called Julie, who was not at this particular dining experience. I said, honey, you ain't going to believe this. 
She said, I'm on my way. I said, I'm full. We'll do it another day. But when you, when you experience something like that, when, when you taste something that good, you can't help but tell people about it. You, you can't help but want to share that experience with somebody. And I think Jesus knows that about us. When, when this woman said, I want to taste this living water, I, I want to know what you're talking about in theory, Jesus did something really counterintuitive. Jesus did something really unexpected. Look at what happens here in the passage. In verse 16, John chapter 4, Jesus told her, go and get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Whoa. I mean, did that just take a turn? All of a sudden, we're talking about water here at this well. Can I have something to drink? I can give you living water that will cause you to never thirst again. You've had five husbands. Now, I think it's very, very important before we dive into this, to, to note the fact that the conversation continues past this point. She did not abandon the conversation. Even when Jesus pointed out the fact that she had had five husbands and was now living with a guy who was a prospective number six, good luck. Jesus did something so powerful. You see, living water fixes what's broken. And Jesus stepped right into the center of her brokenness. He said, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now, searching for something, he's not even, you're not even married to him. You just keep going down the same road over and over and over again. And because we know that she did not abandon the conversation, You've got to know that Jesus didn't come at this from a a condemning, kind of a judgmental attitude. He was just kind of stating the facts. He just kind of stepped right into it and gone, here's the deal. And I think it's very, very important that we understand in order for life on tap to fix what's broken, we have to embrace our brokenness. I've got to be willing to embrace. You have to be willing to embrace your brokenness we've all got it every i don't think anybody in this room would be so arrogant or misguided or deluded as to think well i got it all together (laughs) amen brother so good to see you at church on sunday amen i know somebody who needs this sermon we all need this sermon Every single one of us has got some junk in our trunk. I think it's important right now, everybody smile just for a second. Even if if you don't feel it, just fake it for just a second. Smile and turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them with passion and enthusiasm, I'm broken. (laughs) Now, if you're married to the person who just told you that, don't tell them no duh. But 
that's a fact. You see, here's the deal. You and I were created in the image of God Almighty. We, we were designed, we were crafted by God. And we were designed and crafted by God for the purposes of relationship with Him and with each other. But something broke along the way. It's, it's what the Bible calls sin. Another word for brokenness is sin. Sin just, just means that, that something that God intended for good got broken along the way. And when we start to understand that that's part of our story, we've taken the first step towards that life on tap. We've taken the first step saying, yeah, I'm broken. I, I'm messed up. I have a tendency to be selfish. I have, have kind of an inherent aptitude for seeking my own way over other people, but I can hide it, Jack. I, I can put it in sweet little church terms. But when it's all said and done, it's a brokenness that's inside of me. This woman, I mean, we look at the woman at the well and go, man, 0 for 5, headed for 0 for 6. I'm the woman at the well. I haven't been married five times yet, but <laughs> I'm the woman at the well. It, it doesn't matter the degree. It doesn't matter the category of brokenness. We've all got it. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The Bible says, for all have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, I don't know where you come from or your background. You might have grown up in, in kind of a hardcore, you know, hellfire damnation kind of church where whenever the preacher talked about hell, he got in a good mood. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. And, and I think, again, we all understand sin is real. It's a part of who we are. Nobody had to teach me how to lie. I certainly never took a selfish class. I could teach one, but I didn't take one. So it's, that, that's kind of a given, but I think it's important to focus on God's glorious standard from Romans 3.23. God's glorious standard is moral perfection. Because of who he is. That, that's his personality. That's his, his character. And as such, God cannot lower his standards just to make us feel better about ourselves. He, God's not going to go, well, I said be perfect because I am perfect. And that's what it requires to be in relationship with me. But you missed that one. Man, I, I hate to hurt your self-esteem. Don't worry about it. You kind of missed it. You almost made no, no, no. We play those games. God doesn't play those games. His glorious standard remains his glorious standard. And when we begin to embrace our brokenness, that's when grace begins to make sense. That's what makes grace amazing, is the fact that I so desperately need it and can do nothing by myself to achieve it. That's amazing. If I wasn't broken... Grace would be just kind of cool grace. 
kind of cool grace. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't flow. Whereas amazing grace, I think we can all look at that and go, there's something in there that I need. There, there's something about grace that's genuinely amazing. And it's more amazing when we begin to embrace our brokenness. And it's interesting, I think, that the woman at the well, as I said, did not run from the conversation. She, she kind of took it a little step further. Look at what she said after Jesus said this. You've been married five times. The one you're living with right now, he's not even your husband. You certainly spoke the truth. John 4, 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. She's like, dude, you read my mail. You, how did you do that? But I think it's interesting that she says to Jesus, who just basically told her her life story in two sentences, you must be a prophet. You see how she's, she's, she's still kind of checking it out. She's dipping her toe in the living water, but she's not really embracing it. She's kind of still keeping him at arm's length. You must be a prophet. She's like, wow. After Jesus reads her mail and says, you've had five husbands, you're living with one now that you're not even married to, she's like, whoa, that was pretty cool. I mean, I've been to Vegas and I've never seen a trick like that. You, you must be, that's, that's amazing. And you see, she's doing something that you and I understand. In, in keeping him at arm's length, we can decide not to embrace Jesus's full authority over our brokenness. But in order to experience life on tap, in order to step into that relationship, we have to embrace Jesus's complete full authority over our brokenness. It's not enough to say Jesus is a prophet. He was a good teacher. We have to be able to step up and say, you know what? He is the son of the living God, the alpha and the omega, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Not just in theory, but in my life. To embrace that authority. The word authority makes sense when you realize that God is the author of life. Author authority. They go hand in glove. When God authored your life, he authored my life. The reality is God is God and we are not. And so to embrace his full authority is to embrace reality. When I deny the authority of Christ, I'm living in denial of reality. Because the reality is he is God. Look at what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For the scriptures say about Jesus... God has put all things under his authority. Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Is there anything, any gray area in there? Any, any part of that that's kind of unclear or fuzzy? 
you know, our kids are older now. We've got one in college and one getting ready to go next year. And when Emily and Joseph were very, very little, they came home from school one day with the cutest little notion. They thought that our household was a democracy. <laughs> Isn't that cute? And they, they would say, Mom, Dad, let's vote. Let's vote on the rules in our house. Let's vote on the punishment to be dished out if we don't live up to the rules. Julie and I would hold hands and look at each other and go, y'all are so cute. <laughs> you see, and we did vote. We just told them, we said, mom and dad get five votes each, you get one, let's go. But you see, Julie and I, in our household, by decree of God, in our household, mom and dad were supreme over all things everywhere. Emily and Joseph at five and seven, seven and nine, 18 and 20 were not yet completely ready to handle the authority over their lives. You know how I know that? They want us to buy them stuff still. <laughs> we still get phone calls. You know, when your kids are real little, when, when they're real little, you stick them in the car seat and you throw some Cheerios at them. They get a little older, you give them goldfish. They go to elementary school, you give them a dollar. They go to high school, you give them a 20. You hand out 20s like they're Cheerios. <laughs> but we, mom and dad, are in charge of the household. Somebody help me preach. That's the fact. Now, we better be lovingly in charge. Don't misunderstand that. We better be developing a trust relationship where Emily and Joseph know that they can trust us, that we are on their side and we love them enough to tell them what they need to hear and not just what they want to hear, but we love them. And so when we begin to embrace the authority of God, we begin to taste and see that he is good. We begin to see that every single thing that he has given us in scripture as a command, as an expression of his authority, is also an expression of his love. And so then we step back and we go, all right, I will trust you. You are the authority, Alpha and Omega, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. The technical term for this in the life of a Christ follower is lordship. Is lordship. The woman at the well was not ready yet to settle the issue of lordship. She still wanted to keep Jesus at arm's length as a prophet. But Jesus wasn't yet done with the conversation. And she tries something that every single one of us can identify with. Every single one of us. Jesus says, he steps right into the middle of her brokenness. He, he addresses her hurt, her need. And she says, well, you're a prophet. Then she tries to step back even further. Look at what she says in verse 20. So tell me. 
why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship, ancestors worshipped? See what she's doing there? She's using theology and philosophy as a distraction. It's a little spiritual shell game she's playing. Jesus wants to talk about her brokenness. He wants to step in and give her life on tap personally. And she wants to step back away from that conversation. She wants to talk about Jesus in the third person. About theology in the abstract But as we will see next week, the conversation continues. It it keeps going. And I think that what Jesus hoped and wanted for this woman at the well is the same thing he hopes and wants for me. I think it's the same thing he hopes and wants for you. That we would dump the distractions that we would dump everything that we use as a distraction from who Jesus is personally to us. It's not just about theology and theory and philosophy. Those things matter and they're important. Don't misunderstand me. But ultimately, the question is this. What do you do with Jesus? Do you allow him into your broken places so that his amazing grace, so that life on tap can truly fix what's broken? I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to invite you into a spirit of prayer. And I want to invite you to begin Asking God, what are the distractions in my life? What are the things that are keeping me away from the well of life on tap, of walking with you personally, consistently, powerfully? And as you ask God those things as he brings those things to your mind I want to encourage you and challenge you to dump the distractions dump them and as you do that know that life on tap this this amazing gift is something God wants you to experience it. It defies a scientific explanation because every relationship defies a scientific explanation. But just because we can't scientifically explain it, that doesn't mean that we can't experience it.
How can it be that you choose to love us the way that you do? God, that you choose to step into our lives, into our mess, into our brokenness. Father, right now, we just worship you for the fact that you do. Jesus, because you are willing to step into our brokenness and fix it and use it in our lives and through our lives. I want to ask you just to remain in a spirit of prayer for a moment. And as you do, I want to bring this to a focus. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, we want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. To pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of beginning. A prayer of commitment. For the first time, to nail down life on tap. To begin a relationship with God. If that's you today, then you pray right where you're sitting. Just silently, just talk to God and just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you, Jesus, to fix my brokenness, to forgive me of my sin. And I embrace all of your authority over me personally. Right now, I dump the distractions, Jesus, and I give you my life all of it, once and for all. From this moment forward. I want to ask you just to remain in a spirit of prayer for another moment. And if that was your prayer today and you meant it, for the first time in your life, no doubt about it, you need to know this is the greatest moment in your life. It's also important that you mark this moment, that it stands out. Because there will come other days and other moments where you will wonder, man, was that real? You need to know this is real. And so I want to ask you, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, if you would just mark this moment and raise your hand. Raise your hand up high over your head with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As you raise your hands, you mark the most important moment in your life. It matters that much. As a matter of fact, it matters so much that the Bible says all of heaven celebrates it. And so, we as a church celebrate with you. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.